Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Man, it's so good to see all of you today. We are so excited to be in the head, uh, or the, sorry, the head and the heart. That's a band I listen to. I'm going to see them Tuesday, actually, with my beautiful wife. Anyways, but the Heart of the House series. And, um, and so, man, just so many things happening here at TC. We're so excited to have each one of you with us. If you're new, um, I mean, we want to let you know I am Brad Livingston, and I have the tremendous honor of being the lead pastor of this amazing church. And so, man, we want to welcome each person here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. Look at him and say, you look better than you did yesterday. Come on. Now, all you spouses are like, what was wrong with yesterday? No, I'm just kidding. So, man, we're, we are excited about the Heart of the House series, and today we're going to jump into uh, the, the next phase of our code. Now, if you're new, we kind of want to fill you in. On, so the Heart of the House, we have our, what we call our TC code, and our TC code has 11 statements that kind of define who we are. Um, it's what we see. Uh, the, it's the lens that we look through for uh, establishing our culture and, and the heartbeat behind our church. And so uh, there's 11 statements. We've been going through different ones throughout these weeks, and so today we're going to tackle two more, uh, and, and I'm super excited because this one really, I believe, puts us in an environment where we as a church get to be really and truly different than the way society is driving us to be. All right. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit today. We're going to talk about this idea of the reality of centrality. Say reality. Say centrality. So we're going to talk about the reality of centrality. And, and how many guys would know, how many guys will admit, and you know the truth, that Everything in society today is trying to disrupt the unity that we're fighting for in the church. Now, I can't speak for every church, but here at TC, we fight for unity. And how many guys would acknowledge that everything in the world is trying to get you to pick sides? Everything is trying to disrupt unity. Am I right? Scroll through Facebook, go online, everything, watch, watch any news channel. And it, it's not a matter of trying to help you navigate what you need to believe. It's only trying to mudsling and attack to try to make sure you don't believe what they believe. And there's a, there's a genuine desire to disrupt the unity. And can I tell you something? Here at Transformation Church, we fight for unity. We fight for unity each other. But let's talk about this idea of centrality. So the definition of centrality is the quality or fact of being in the middle of somewhere or something. So the quality or fact of being in the middle of somewhere or something. And it'll make a little more sense as we start to move along. But we want you to grab a hold of this idea of picking sides. You see, in society, even just take politics, you could, I could use some phrases right now that could split this room in half. Phrases like President Obama, President Trump. See, some of y'all trying to be quiet. You fighting back the urge to say something right now. I could, I could say a phrase like, make America great again. And what happens in your own personal heart, right? You automatically start picking a side for or against whatever phrase or name I just threw out, didn't I? 
Because what happens is when we're not careful and society does a great job at disrupting the unity that we're fighting for in the body of Christ, outside the body of Christ, and what the enemy's goal is, is to pull us so much into the world that we don't look like the body anymore. But here at TC, we fight for unity and we're going to continue to fight for it. Why? Because I am excited. I, I, the reason I love our church is because I love being part of a church that looks like what heaven is going to look like. I love being a part of a church where every generation, every age is welcome. It's not just one age, it's all ages. I love being a part of a church where every race or ethnicity is welcome. I love being a part of a church where different classes come together because it's not just a race thing. It can be a class thing. It can be a generation thing where low income and wealthy and then those of us that just stuck in the middle. Come on, somebody. Just can a brother get a couple million dollars? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so, but we... we are part of a church that genuinely looks like what I know heaven is going to look like. It has been said that Sunday is the most separated day of the week for people when it comes to race. Because we work together, we live beside each other, we go to school with each other, but on Sundays the white go to the white church, black go to the black church, poor go to the poor church, rich go to the rich church. But I'm glad to be a part of a church that says, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what has happened to you. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. It doesn't matter who you are. All I care about is who God says that you are. And I'm ready to help you get from where you are to where he wants to take you. And we're here to be brothers and sisters. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to fight alongside you. I'm not here to come against you. I'm coming here to come alongside you. And I want to see God do everything in your life because if he's doing it in your life, that means he's getting ready to do it in mine. And we get to celebrate the unity of the body, not look for the disruption of the body. That's the life that we get to live. And so can I say that it happens at every church? No. Can I say I'm proud to be a pastor where it happens at my church? Yes. And so I'm kind of preaching to the choir here a little bit. In other words, most of you have bought in, but I want to go ahead and let you know now, if you're new here at TC, man, I welcome you. I hope you want to call this place home. I hope that you look around and see this is what heaven's going to look like and you love what you see. But if you don't, if you look around and you say, you know what? I don't know if I want to go to church with a bunch of people that ain't the same race as me. I don't know if I want to go to church with a bunch of people that are in a different wealth class or different generation than me. If you fall into that category, don't worry. You can pick a new church next week. All right. Because here at TC, this is never going to change. This is who we are. This isn't something we do, my friends. This is who we are. We fight for unity, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And so the, the portion of the Bible that we're actually coming from is, is in John chapter 4, and there's a Samaritan woman. So Jesus comes to Samaria. When he's coming to Samaria, he, he stops at a well to get something to drink, and he actually sends his disciples into the city. And so he's sitting outside the city sitting outside the city at the well, and he meets a Samaritan woman. She comes up to him, and he asks her one question. He says, will you give me a drink? And that sets into motion this conversation with Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and this woman. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you have the digital notes that you're downloading, you can pull those up if you've got the paper notes. Or you can follow on the screen, whichever one works for you. John 4, 7 through 10. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew 
And I'm a Samaritan woman, which if you don't know, they would not have been having conversations and serving one another in this time frame. It would not have been allowed. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so one of the things that I want us to see right here out of the gate in John chapter four is how much Jesus loved to break down the preconceived ideas of who should and should not be talking to each other. Jesus comes out of the gate and he says, can I have a water? She says, we're not supposed to be talking to each other. Jesus is like, you worried about the wrong thing. Because what you need to be worried about is who I am, not what the world keeps telling you to be worrying about. Can I tell you something today? We should be worrying about who Jesus is and how he's impacting us and how he's impacting the people that we love and how he's changing the scope of society. We should be worried about what Jesus is doing in us and through us, not what's going on on the outside. That doesn't mean we don't go outside. I'm saying our concern should be making the house be built up so that when we go out and when we talk to people about Jesus, when we bring the gospel to those that are far from God, when we minister to the hurting and broken, we can bring them back to a place that Jesus is residing in. That is our goal. That's our heart. And so the Samaritan woman looks at him and he says, she says, well, I don't know. We should be talking to Jesus saying, if you only knew the, that I'm trying to give you living water. You see, she was only hearing the temporary. She wasn't hearing the opportunity, right? And here in the world that we live in, we feel forced to pick sides, See, what the, what the world, what CNN and Fox and NBC and ABC, MTV, 1, 2, 3, and you and me. And, wait, that's a song. Never mind. That was different. Sorry. What, what happens is when we, and then we got Facebook, right? And then we got people on this side and people on this side. And, and, and as all of that starts to happen, we got political worlds. And then we got all, as all of those things start to happen, what happens is the, the tension in our lives is to start picking sides, well, this is the, this, I was raised, this is how I believed, and so, or, or this is what I see, and this is how, where I have to stand, and, and what we should be fighting for, hear me today, what we should be fighting for, and what we fight for here at Transformation Church is the unity in the body that draws us together, not what the world is bringing to try to tear us apart. That is our goal. And I knew it was going to get quiet in this part, so I ain't worried about it. Because what happens is they try to force us to pick between Democrat and Republican. They try to, try to force us to pick between the left or the right, liberal or conservative, Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme. When we know there's really only one choice. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Y'all Dunkin' Donuts weirder. Y'all can go back to the north, all right? Down here, we fry stuff, okay? So we cover it in sugar. Moving on. So but that's what the world wants to do. Can I, I, we we got to laugh some today, otherwise it's too heavy. But y'all know what I'm talking Doesn't the world try to get us to pick sides? Tries to get us to, to separate, and we should be fighting for a center position in the kingdom, which brings me to <clears throat> my very first point today. Uh, and it's the first statement of the TC Code, what we're going to cover today. And it's the idea that everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. 
It, I, what, it doesn't matter what race you are or ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what kind of wealth or income class you come from. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've been through. It doesn't matter what your past brings, the sins that you feel like people are going to judge you for. None of those things matter to me. What matters to me is where God wants to take you and how I can help get you there. What matters to us as a church is where God wants to take you and how we as a church can help get you there. But what a refreshing environment to walk into, am I right? Well, you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. You can get to be you and love Jesus right where you're at. And so we have this idea, and, and for every time we have a portion of our code, the statement, we have a tagline that goes underneath it, and the tagline for today is that we will cultivate diversity while maintaining unity. We will cultivate diversity while maintaining unity. Say diversity. Say unity. And so let's talk about the word cultivate, because that's the key word in the tagline for the code today. To cultivate means to try to acquire or develop. You know what that means? We're trying to acquire and develop diversity in this church. Hear me for a second. If you look different than me, if you come from a different uh, wealth class than me, if you have a different background than I do, hear me. We're trying to cultivate the environment where you are welcome, not tolerate the environment where you are welcome. We're trying to cultivate the environment where you are welcome. Because at TC, we don't tolerate our differences. We embrace and we cultivate those that are different. We look for every opportunity to draw people and to bring people into this house. We've had so many people walking through our doors lately that were part of other churches, both all white churches and all African-American churches and all Hispanic. And they're all saying the same thing. We're so tired of dealing with politics. We just want to be around some people. I'm like, well, welcome to it, because we're going to talk a little bit about politics today, politics today, but what we're really going to be talking about is how we should be looking at people, not politics. We should be looking at purpose, not preference. And we should be looking at the gospel, the good news, and how it should be changing us. So let's jump back into John 4. We're going to go back to our story where Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. So Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water, talking about at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming here to draw this water. Can I tell you something? The woman skipped over the eternal opportunity for her temporary fix. She, she by, Jesus is saying, if you take of the water that I have, you'll never thirst again. All she heard was, I don't have to keep coming to this well. Great. He's saying, no, 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 you're missing it. He said, there's something in me that you can't get anywhere else. There's something in me that's different than you can get in the world. Hear me, church. 
That was a, a representation of what Jesus is communicating today. There's something different that comes through Jesus that you can't get from your politics. You can't get from the president. You can't get from anywhere else. You can't get from a systematic structure. You can't get from who you vote into local offices. You can only get what Jesus has from Jesus himself. And it'll only be encouraged by the people of Jesus in the presence of Jesus. And you'll never get it in the world. Why? Because what Jesus offers wasn't meant to be a temporary fix. It was meant to be an eternal promise. And so we got to stop looking to the world to fix us. And we got to start looking to us to start fixing the world. But we get to, see, I don't have to communicate it like this. We've got to start. What I get to say is we're going to keep on striving for unity in this body and embracing one another, loving one another and seeing that, hear me today, you are more important than my preference. I'm going to love you. Hear me. I don't care who you vote for. It doesn't change how much I love you. I don't care who you vote for. It doesn't change the fact that I'm going to stand next to you and watch God do something amazing in your life. Now you want to know who I voted for? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Because all that matters is that you know how much I show you Jesus is ready to love and save your life. And can we agree that's our mission? So too often in the kingdom, we're stuck picking sides on temporary earthly preferences rather than eternal purpose and impact, right? So then the woman, she comes to him and she goes, oh man, okay, I want that. That's what I want. I want the living water. And he says, I'll tell you what, go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. I love how Jesus, man, y'all act like Jesus was a punk, man. He was just like, oh, yeah, we know, okay? And so he says, you, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she goes, man, you must be some kind of prophet. And Jesus is like, yeah, you could say that. That's not in the text, but that's how I read my Bible. Okay, y'all got to change how you read your Bible, man. It's crazy up in there. Y'all ever read that book? Anyway, so, so he goes on and he's communicating to her what she's missing out on. And it's this idea, hear me for a second. What Jesus shows us in the beginning of John chapter four is it doesn't matter. She's had five husbands. The man she's living with now, not her husband. She's a Samaritan. She's looking to get all the wrong things from Jesus and yet he's there. Hear me for a second. doesn't matter. I don't care if you've been divorced. I don't care if you've been through stuff. It doesn't matter what you've come through. I don't care how many struggles you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of income or wealth class you've come through. It doesn't matter what what race you are, what ethnicity you are, what kind of association you have, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. None of those things matter because Jesus came so that we could be united as a church and show the world what love looks like. And so the beginning of John chapter four, Jesus is putting on display what it looks like for everyone to be invited. And then the second code, portion of a code we want to give you is this idea that unity is greater than loyalty. Unity is greater than loyalty. The unity in the body of Christ is greater than the loyalty to anything outside the body of Christ. I'll put it to you this way. The unity that we strive for with each other should be more important to us than our loyalty to our political parties, to our commitment to the people that look like us, 
to our commitment to stay into in a wealth class that we're in, but the people that we go to church with may not be in. We're unified together. Can I get an amen on that? We're fighting, fighting for one another. So the woman starts to question Jesus about her perception of what matters. So uh, after the, what we just explained, then the woman starts going, well, she starts to challenge him. Well, uh, what, what about worship? And she starts to look at style of worship and location of worship. Kind of like we do, not with worship with our hands lifted, but the things that we worship in our life more than God. Oh, I said, if you're talking about your next presidential candidate more than you're talking about the savior of the world, you need to change your priorities. Didn't mean to step on that toe. I said, if you're more worried about your social agenda for, the, for whatever it is you're going after and you're talking about that more than you are loving people and showing them who Jesus is, you've got your priorities out of whack. But what we're going to do is commit to showing people what the gospel is. That means I love you regardless of whatever you're deciding on, voting on. Why? We go back to John chapter 4, 21 through 24. The woman, uh, woman, Jesus replied. Now, I don't think that was like how some of y'all say woman. She didn't do the dishes. Woman! I'm just kidding. She has a joke. That don't happen in my house. I don't know about y'all's house. And she'd be like, man. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, what she had said was, well, uh, the Samaritans say we should be worshiping on this mountain, but the Jews say we should be worshiping on that mountain, and we don't know which one is, is really true. And Jesus is saying, listen, a time is coming where you will worship the Father on this mountain, not on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans... Jesus is talking to the woman. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. And what he is saying there is you guys are worshiping God with a head knowledge, but not with a heart knowledge. So you're worshiping God in that he exists, but you are not worshiping God for who he is. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And so he says, you, you're worried about what it looks like. You're worried about making sure you're in the right spot, but the reality is, is what God is about to do has, is gonna transcend the location of worship. It's gonna transcend how you worship. It's gonna transcend what it looks like to worship. It's gonna transcend your, all your preferences of worship. I'm gonna tell you something, now that Jesus is here and the presence of God and the spirit of God is here, he's transcending your ethnic, ethnical background. He's transcending your cultural preference. He's transcending your political party. He's transcending all of those things because Jesus doesn't need a social agenda. He doesn't need a political agenda. What he has is a gospel reformation to change the world and to use people like you and me to show the world what love looks like because he said the world will know, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And so he's looking for people that will love one another. And then we go to John 4 verse 26 where the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. 
And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, girl, you blind? That's how I read my Bible. Okay, so what he actually said was, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Essentially, he said, yeah, 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 I know what you're looking for. What you don't realize is I'm standing right here. And I'm here to tell you that that stuff doesn't matter. What I'm here to tell you is this over here, this is what matters. And church, can I tell you something? Don't get caught up in the political jargon. Listen, I'm I'm not telling you not to have a preference. I'm not telling you not to have a candidate. I'm not telling you any of those things. That's not what I'm saying. I think you should vote. I think you should do what you believe is right. What I'm saying is don't let it affect how we love each other. I think you should have conversations about it. I think you should encourage one another. I think you should do all those things. Don't let that change how we love one another. Because we will show the world that we are God's disciples by how we love one another. So the Samaritan woman tries to derive her identity and her eligibility from her place of worship, but not her heart of worship. And that brings us to the tagline for this portion of the code, where it says that we will fight for each other's right to part. Sorry, that was a different wrong, wrong line. We will fight for each other's right to have a seat at the table because we stick together. We will fight for each other's right to have a seat at the table. Hear me today. If you look differently than me, I'm not just fighting for your right to be in the room. I'm fighting for your right to have a seat at the table. I'm not just fighting for your right to exist in the presence of this church. I'm fighting for your right to belong in this church, for you to call this home, for you to look around this room and see brothers and sisters, not strangers. We're fighting for your right to, even if you look differently than me, for you to have a seat at the table. When we go to Luke chapter 15, 22 through 24, uh, this is where the code can, continues to derive from. And, and to give you clarity on what's happening in Luke 15, this is a separate story than the one we were just reading. There's two sons and a father gives the youngest son asks for his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it on gambling and, and wild living and prostitutes and all this other stuff, partying, and eventually he loses it all and he realizes, you know what, I would rather be a servant in my father's house than the master of a pig pen. And he goes home. And as his father sees him from a long way off, you would think his father would be upset, but he actually runs out and embraces him. And as he embraces his son, he starts to talk. And that's where we pick up in Luke 15, 22 through 24. He's, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Say ring. Back to what we talked about last week. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. But you know who was upset about it? Older brother. Now, if you don't know how things worked in that time, let me help you out for a second. So what would happen is if the father had two sons, his estate would be divided into thirds. The youngest son would get one third of the estate. The oldest son would get two thirds of the estate because of his birthright. So the youngest son came to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. So his father gave him one third of the estate, which left older brother with two thirds, 66%. Well, younger brother goes and he wasted, as we just talked about. So when he came running back to his father and his father ran out and embraced him, 
There's one phrase in that Luke 15 where he said that he put a ring on his finger. And what happened is that ring was the family identification. He didn't just say, you can come back into my house. He said, you can have a seat at my table. He said, you are now my son. You may have gone out and done all those things, but you're my son. You may have gone out and and gambled it away. You may have gone out and, and shamed our name. You may have gone out and done this or done this or done this or done this, but you sit at my table. And so older brother's upset because when he put the ring back on his finger, you know what that meant? He now got another third of the estate. Well, guess whose chunk that came out of? Older brother. Older brother said, man, you tripping. But what the father was saying, we pick up in verse 28. He says, son, he runs out. And the son, the older brother's upset. He says, son, we have to celebrate. Your brother, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate, but his brother was so angry, he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. And that's where he told him, he said, listen, everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate. This brother of yours, he was lost, but now he's found. And can I tell you something, TC? We're gonna fight for each other's right to have a seat at the table. Because whoever you are, if you're lost, we're fighting for you to be found. We're not gonna be so caught up on having wars over politics in our church that we neglect the people, but we're gonna be fighting for you. If you bring a family member that's far from God, we're fighting for them. If you're in this room right now and somebody brought you today, this may be a different type of message, but I want you to know we're fighting for you because we believe that God's desire to do something great in your life is not something he's given up on. And so my boys are gonna come up here for a second, Tremaine and Justin, put your hands together for Tremaine. Come on, give it up for him, give it up for him. I guess Justin too, put your hands together for Justin too. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But this is, this is what happens. And this is, this is an example of what the world is trying to do to us. And this is what I want you to see is, is we actually find ourselves in this position, right? Where we're, the reality of centrality, of being caught right dead in the middle of what's happening. And, and as we've navigated these circumstances throughout even our society, even, even in our country, is I, as a pastor, I've sat down with, brothers and sisters in, in different communities. And, and, and one of the examples that, that tends to happen that created so much tension in, in our world is as we watched a, a young African-American boy get shot by a white cop. And when that happened, this tension started to exist in the world. And, and, and Tremaine representing the, this young boy who was shot and, and Justin representing the police officer and and what happens on social media and what happens on the news network and what happens in our friend circles is, is they start to separate. They start to pull against you and, and, and you find yourself stuck in the middle. And, and what happens is if you pick a side and you say, you know what, I'm siding with here. What you've done is neglected him. You've neglected this person. You've neglected this people group. You've, you've neglected. And what happens is, is people are screaming, black lives matter. And, and they do. But over here, they're screaming, blue lives matter. And they do. And what happens is, is we come back to this, 
this reality of centrality where you say, you know what? I'm, if I pick this side, I'm neglecting him. And if I pick this side, I'm neglecting him. And, and so what, what, what God is calling us to do is to stay stuck right here in the middle and say, you know what? I'm standing with you, but I'm standing with you. And I, I'm not neglecting you by standing with him and I'm not neglecting you by standing with him. But what I'm gonna do is make a stance for righteousness to say that I'm gonna continue to bridge the gap and be an example of Jesus to every people group I come across. I'm gonna continue to shine the light of the gospel into your world and into your world. And I'm standing with you. And rather than fighting the tension of being pulled apart and rather than giving up and just going with the flow, rather than giving up and just giving into what's easier or what the friends are putting pressure on you to do, what I'm gonna do is continue to stand in the middle and fight for this reality of centrality right here in the center between what people are pulling me this way and what people are pulling me this way and recognizing, you know what? My job isn't to try to pick a side. My job is to represent a body that is unified. And hear me today, you don't have to pick a side. Matter of fact, what I can say is, Justin, if you wanna get to him, you gotta come through me. If you wanna get to Tremaine, you gotta come through me. If you wanna get to the African-American guy, you gotta come through me. If you wanna get to the white guy, you gotta come through me. If you wanna get to the Hispanic guy, because we're, we're talking about a, a polarizing subject in our nation, but we're well aware that there are things that impact the Hispanic community or the Asian community. And we're here to let you know, no matter where you are, if somebody wants to get to you, they gotta go through me. If somebody wants to come into attack the mindset or your stance, they're not gonna have to come through us. Why? Because we are a body that is unified. Does that mean we don't have things that we may disagree on? No, but I love these people too much to let the things that we may disagree on surpass the one thing that we do agree on. And that's that Jesus is here to change people's lives. And we're ready to see God do something amazing. Can I get an amen on that? Go ahead, guys. Here at TC, we fight for each other's right to have a seat at the table. You see, in a lot of churches, this isn't a bash on churches. We don't mind them in the house. We just don't want them sitting at the table. But here at TC, Tremaine, one of our trustees. Honestly, he's one of my right-hand men here at this church. Juwan, who did the transition earlier, is one of my spiritual sons. He's on staff at our church. But you, you start looking around this body and I'm telling you, you're seeing what heaven's gonna look like. So we have to understand this one thing because what happens when the nation becomes polar opposites? What happened when that tension starts to set in and you get asked to pick sides? You start to distance yourself from the people you need to be loving because proximity creates passion, but distance creates distortion. And we need to be drawing close to one another the proximity of each other, when we bring it close to each other, we become passionate about that person's life. But when we allow distance to set in because of preferences, that distance becomes distortion. And hear me for a second, when you can, dis when you can distort the identity of God in someone, then you can demean who they are. But as long as we stay close, we're allowing God to continue to show us his spirit in every person. I love you because God loved me and he has shown me 
to love you. So as a church, we're gonna fight for centrality. We're gonna fight to be in the middle. We're gonna fight to hold the tension between two people. We're gonna fight so that we're standing unified because what God is communicating to us is that it's not about preference. It's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about wealth class. It's not about generational gaps. It's not about old and young. It's 100% all about God being glorified in our life. We started off with the definition of centrality, right? Which is the, the state of being in the middle. There's another definition I wanna give you as we wrap up today. In centrality, the quality of being essential or of the greatest importance. Hear me today. For those of you fighting for the middle, for those of you focused on unity, for those of you focused on saying, I'm not gonna say yes to this and no to that, but I'm gonna say yes to these. And for those of you that are standing in there, you are maintaining centrality. You are of the greatest importance. And God is going to use us to touch the world around us so that we can impact our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities, and let's start loving people to Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? If you believe in that, just put your hands together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are calling this house and these amazing people to a position that we're not neglecting who we are. We're not neglecting our own identity. We can hold our head high and know that no matter what we've walked in this door with or who we've walked in as, you love us right where we are. And so God, today, I pray that you move on our hearts, that we would continue to love each other so much that we represent Jesus to the world, that people are curious about what it is that's different about us. And we could see people transformed the same way you transformed us. We thank you in Jesus' name. If you're in this room today and you're far from God, you see, the reason we can maintain a, a central position, the reason we can be in the middle of what feels right or feels wrong, the reason we can be in the middle of different people groups is because somebody else stood in the middle for us. And when I had sin in my life and, and wherever you may be today, you may have sin in your life and, and you're not the only one. We, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of what God wants for us. But as the sin, the reality of that sin separated us from God. God wanted us to be with him. And so he sent Jesus, the very first person to recognize centrality, the very first person to stand in the middle, the very first person to be recognized as important for your life and mine was Jesus as he paid the price for our sins to give us access to God. And today, if you're far from God today, if you need to know him today, if you need a life change, if you need something in your heart to be shifted today, if you know your life's not right with God, but you are ready to give your life to Jesus and for him to give you a fresh start. If you're ready and you say, that's me, Pastor, I'm ready for what God wants to do in my life. Then we wanna say a prayer with you today. And, and here's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna come to you, neither is my team. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna point you out in any way. What we wanna do is pray with you. And we wanna lead you in a prayer that would declare with our mouth what we're believing in our heart. And that is that we are putting our faith in Jesus, that when he died on the cross, he died for my sins. And today, if you wanna know him right where you sit, 
today, if you want Jesus to give you a fresh start and a new beginning, wherever you may be in your life and whatever you may have come through, he's ready to do it for you right now. And so if you're ready for that, you're saying, that's me, pastor. I'm ready for a fresh start. I'm ready for a new beginning. I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna point you out. We just wanna pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you sit and say, that's me, pastor. I'm ready for a new start. I knew it for a beginning. Yes, awesome. Is there anyone else that says, that's me, pastor. I'm ready for God to give me a, once you, once you put your hand up, you can put it down. Like I said, we're not gonna embarrass you. We just wanna help you take the next step towards Jesus in your life. Is there anyone else that says, that's me, pastor. I'm ready for God to give me a fresh start and a new beginning. Maybe you're watching us online right now and you're telling us, that's me, pastor. I'm ready for God to give me a fresh start. I'm ready for him to transform my heart and my life. If that's you, here's what we're gonna do today. Whether you raised your hand or did not, but you're ready to put your faith in Jesus today, repeat after me. And this prayer is gonna declare with your mouth the faith that you have in your heart that Jesus is transforming your life. Let's pray together, church. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose three days later through your life, through your death and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that perhaps for the first time. We celebrate with you. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. For more information about our church or to contact us, please feel free to visit our website at transformationchurch.com. And if you want to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. Join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be.